Again, everybody, Anne Louise Gittleman here for the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And again, my guest is America's cardiologist, one of the most beloved nutritional pioneers out there, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. Dr. Stephen Sinatra is well known to many of you because of his very kind heart, his openness, and the fact that he's written several best-selling books, including the latest, The Great Cholesterol Myth. But he also introduced us to CoQ10, for which we're all very, very grateful. So Dr. Sinatra, how are you this fine day? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm up here in Connecticut. It was a, it's a beautiful day. I just had a long walk, you know, just to get ready for this broadcast, get a little exercise, get out of the house, breathe some fresh air. It's wonderful. <laughs> so tell me about this. This is a revised and expanded edition of a best-selling book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. What are the myths about cholesterol that you set up to deflate? Well, you know, a lot of people still believe that cholesterol is the main risk factor in getting coronary artery disease or inflammation of the blood vessels. And despite the fact that statins have been around for decades now, and despite the fact that, you know, people still believe and doctors still believe in this theory, you know, it's only a theory, it's only a hypothesis. And uh, after you know, practicing cardiology for decades and, um, you know, really studying cholesterol in depth, and doing cardiac angiograms and, ca and catheterizations, I came to my own conclusions like uh, anything else in the, in the cardiovascular literature. Um, you can challenge it, you can look at it, you can dissect it. And after reading and rereading and, and lo looking at my clinical experience, I've, I felt that I needed to write this book because uh, much about the cholesterol theory of heart disease is basically, in my opinion, a hoax. I mean, the real villain when it comes to uh, coronary artery disease is insulin secretion or diabetes, insulin resistance. And look, Anne Louise, right now in America, every 1.3.4 people in one person in 3.4 to 3.5 people has diabetes mm. or insulin resistance. This is an epidemic in, in this country right now. And uh, people got to realize that um, one of the reasons why we're seeing, you know, you know, so many uh, complications um, uh, from heart disease and, and diabetes, and even with COVID-19, basically um, overweight status with insulin resistance, in my mind right now, is, is pr the primary risk factors, especially in this day and age of COVID. So important to understand. So we really need a complete redefinition of heart disease. So then, so then tell me the markers. If somebody went in, Dr. Sinatra, for a blood test, what should they be testing? Well, first of all, fasting blood sugar, I think, is of extreme importance. It was kind of interesting. And uh, I did a consult a couple of days ago with a chiropractor uh, from Long Island. And he asked me his, you know, the, his, uh, my opinion about his uh, you know, he had a high cholesterol and blah, blah, blah. But I was more concerned about his blood sugar. It was slightly over 100. And he didn't realize it. And now here's a guy in the health profession, right, Anne Louise? Yeah. He didn't realize it that the American College, you know, of, of physicians or the, you know, the, the um, American you know, society, so to speak, have now lowered the fasting blood glucose down to 70. It used oh to be my. 100. Oh, my gosh. So, you know... This is a real problem because right now we want people to have fasting blood sugars below 90. 70 is ideal, a fasting blood sugar. How many people 
have fasting blood sugars over 100. It's amazing. Even when I was practicing on a day-to-day basis, I, was, I would always check blood sugar. So blood sugar and fasting insulin, I, I would always check. Certainly, I would get a cholesterol p- profile, um, and I would dissect the cholesterol profile. I'd look at small particle, large particle, and I would especially look at triglycerides and HDL. We should have that conversation subsequently, but uh, I believe that the triglyceride to HDL ratio is really vitally important. And the most recent literature, and I wrote this in um, the revised edition of the Great Cholesterol Myth, the one that's you know just came out in October, is the fact that people think that the higher the HDL, the better. Yeah. Well, that's another myth, mm. uh, unfortunately. Uh, what we feel now is that the HDL, like everything else in medicine, has a sweet spot. And the sweet spot for HDL is, is literally between 40 and 60. So if you're a male or a female and you have an HDL of 40 to 60, you probably have very, quote, functional, very good, solid HDL to help prevent you know, coronary inflammation. However, we used to think that if HDL is a 70, 80, 90, over 100, it was protective. Now, it still may be protective, but what we're realizing now is that when you have very, very high HDLs, some of that HDL can be dysfunctional HDL, <laughs> which means that it's not good. So anyway, um, you know, that's a new finding that I put in the great cholesterol myth because, you know, I've been researching the literature on it and stuff. So w- when somebody goes to the doctor's office and they want to get a profile for coronary artery risk, you know, certainly the, the blood sugar is crucial, very crucial. You can get a fasting insulin. Um, you can certainly get, you know, some sort of a cholesterol profile. You can certainly dissect it down into large particles, small particle. This particle A, particle B, and this particle AB. I mean, there's a lot of good science around it. Um, and then certainly, you know, other risk factors like LP little A. I'd like to maybe discuss that one with you subsequently from now. Oh, yes. And, and certainly, you know, fibrinogen is important. Uh, ferritin is important. And in postmenopausal women, um, you know, uh, I saw high fibrinogen levels, for example, especially in smokers. And I used to think that, you know, smoking can sort of pollute the blood and, and cause excessive blood clotting. But for some reason, the postmenopausal women who has a high fibrinogen to begin with, and now she's smoking, that's like triple handcuffs. So, mm. you know, there are certain risk factors that, in my opinion, are far more virulent than high cholesterol. And by the way, and we should have this discussion in the next few minutes, you know, high cholesterol may be protective in this COVID-19 pandemic. That's another consideration as well. That's uh, that's that's so fascinating. But I have to backtrack just one minute because when I learned about the triglyceride to HDL ratio, the first person that brought that to my attention was Dr. Robert Atkins. Are you familiar with Dr. Oh, Atkins? Yeah, may yeah. he rest in peace. Right. He was actually a cardiologist, I believe, or an internist, if I'm not mistaken, but did so much for protecting the heart and, it, and his concept of insulin resistance was way ahead of his time. So with the triglyceride to HDL ratio, what is the ideal ratio? Well, the, the lower, the better. I mean, uh, I think two you should strive for. So wh- wh- what does that mean, Anne-Louise? That means you what get a- What does it mean? <laughs> it's yeah. true. Yeah, so if you have two, so if you have a triglycerides of 100, right? And that's an enumerator and you have uh, the HDL uh, at 50, right? Well, 50 into 100 is two. But suppose you had, let's say a triglycerides of 85 and an HDL of 54. Oh my gosh, that's even better. 
So if you have a ratio less than two, I really embrace that. To me, that's, that's fantastic cardiovascular protection. And uh, so, so that's what I tested in my patients for years. You know, there was an article that came out, uh, I think it was in the journal Circulation. It came out in 1998. I'll never forget it. And, it, and because I was testing, um, you know, a lot of HDLs and, and, and I was really looking at triglycerides back then seriously. And it, when this article came out demonstrating that a low ratio would give you, and this was an amazing uh, statistic, the research has suggested that it would give you 16 times the protection. Mm, mm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty huge. I mean, you know, that's Spectacular. Really good. Yes. Yes. So I used to always look at that and uh, you know, if, if you get somebody with a, a low blood sugar uh, you know, a low ratio like that, I mean, who cares what their cholesterol is? I mean, that's the way I, I, I would look at it. Uh, and, and, and tell my listeners why cholesterol is so important, why it's been so, uh, demonized, but it actually is a real hero, a real savior in many people's health stories. Well, the simple answer is when sunlight hits the skin, um, the cholesterol in your body or in your skin, uh, in, com in combination with natural sunlight, forms vitamin D3, mm. you know, hydroxycholecholesterol. So, you know, calciferol, I mean. So basically, um, vitamin D3 is one of the most important, you know, vitamins for immune system support. And in this COVID, you know, 19 pandemic that we're seeing, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, this recent literature on vitamin D, but it came out a couple of months ago. Um, there was a small study, uh, I think there was seven or 800 people in it, which is, you know, it's not a large 30,000 study, but it's not small. It's not like a, you know, a, a 60 participant study. It's, it's in the, you know, seven or eight hundreds. And what they showed was that if you had a vitamin D serum level, and it's so easy to draw vitamin D levels, you just draw blood, you send it to a laboratory. And if the vitamin D level was low, like 15 to 20, I, what we call UGs per ml, and you caught COVID-19, oh my gosh, that was almost 100% uh, fatal. In yes. other words, uh, you would get serious complications and, and probably die from it. However, if your vitamin D level was up to 35 or 40, you know, which is really, quote, normal, I like to see it 50 to 60, to be honest with you, um, you had no complications of COVID. In other words, you would you would fly through COVID without, you know, again, a small study of only 700 people, but you would fly through COVID. And this is kind of interesting because vitamin D is one of the unsung heroes for immune system support. Yes. So uh, I'm all in on vitamin D. I mean, what does it cost? Five, 10, $15 a month. I mean, uh, it's easy to take. It's a uh, and, and somebody living like in Cote de Leon in your area, you know, in those northern latitudes, you're not getting much sunlight. So we're very deficient here. Yeah, so your listeners on this program right now should take that one to the bank. And uh, you all should be at least taking uh, five, I would say 5,000 units of vitamin D through, through at least the winter season. And then, you know, yeah. back off in the summer season, you know, when you, when you get a little more natural sunlight. But remember, it's cholesterol in the skin that ignites the process. So you know, these people on statin drugs who are killing cholesterol, getting cholesterols down as low as they can go. And, you know, this might have an impact, especially in, in a pandemic. And so let me ask you something. You bring up the, the point of, of statins, which I know you're very um, against in certain respects. What about the natural, so-called natural statins in red rice yeast? Well, it's it's the lesser of, uh, of, of evils. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, uh, you know, people could use it 
Um, I had a couple of people use red, right? Well, not a couple. I had lots of people when I was practicing cardiology on a day-to-day -day basis. But I, I remember I had two people who had uh, almost like um, statin complications who were using red rice yeast, and I had to really reduce the dose. Uh, so some people can be sensitive to it because it does act like a, a very poor man's statin in, in a way. Remember, it's an HMG coreduxase inhibitor, uh, like a statin, uh, but it's certainly much better to use than a statin. I mean, I have no problem. I mean, I like citrus bergamot, which is sort of a red rice yeast, but of a, of a lower, uh, I would say, concentration. Lower potency. Um, yeah, potency. Um, because remember, there's always outliers out there, uh, Anne Louise, and there's always some people that can react to um, you know any any vitamin, mineral, drug, etc. That's why it's always good to start these people on on lower doses as opposed to therapeutic doses. I mean, that was my mantra in medicine for years, where I would always start somebody on whether it was a vitamin, a mineral, even CoQ10. I would always start you know, very, very low doses and work my way up. But I think what's important is that if people, and I have a lot of followers that do this, if they're using the red rice yeast, they still have to take the CoQ10. Absolutely. That, I want you to tell them that again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. In other words, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, I'm giving a lecture uh, virtually to the A4M in, in December. And uh, Mark Houston wanted me to give two hours to coenzyme Q10. Think about that. Wow. A lecture on coenzyme Q10. And uh, Anne Louise, I, I just you know re researched the literature, and there have been three major papers. Two came out in April, and one came out last week, by the way, uh, in November. These incredible papers on CoQ10, and I'll tell you, it still defies my imagination. This is one nutrient that we all must take. Do you realize that CoQ10 is not only the darling of cardiovascular disease, but <laughs> I just learned this in this last paper. Now, here's, you know, here's a guy like me that's been using CoQ10 for 40 years. I've done research on it, and, you know, the, the human model, the animal model, I mean, you know, the rat, the horse. I mean, I've done so much research on CoQ10. Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that CoQ10 helped glaucoma. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know that. You know, wow, that's a biggie. That's a biggie, Dr. Sinatra. And my mother got blind from glaucoma, and so did my grandmother. You know, and here's a guy like me that's a CoQ10 expert, and I had to read it in this November issue. So, and, and CoQ10, people don't realize it. You know, they, they think it's wonderful for cardiovascular support, and it's true, but think of fibromyalgia, autism, uh, you know. Um, uh, well, autism spectrum disorder, even Alzheimer's disease, uh, Parkinson's disease now uh, with CoQ10. I mean, there's so many indications for CoQ10 and that glaucoma just blew me away. Uh, and then there's a lot of congenital syndromes, uh, you know, in children that they use in CoQ10. So I'm still learning, you know, I'm, I'm 74 years old. And, and I got to tell you, listen, is, you know, when I can still learn about CoQ10, it's just amazing. It's just, it's, it's magic to my <laughs> to my ears, so to speak. You know? So there's a lot of confusion as to the type of CoQ10. What should my listening audience look for? Well, you know, the, the ubiquinol, ubiquinol controversy came out. Kanika set a new mousetrap years ago. Look, any ubiquinol is good stuff. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to throw ubiquinol under the bus. It's, it's good CoQ10, but it's more expensive. And, you know, when, you, when, when a person like me would be using two, three, 400 milligrams of CoQ10 in their patients, um, uh, if you could f find a suitable high quality ubiquinone, um, so 
like, like we use at Healthy Directions, for example, and I've done research on this several times, um, a high quality ubiquinone with good bioavailability is as equal as, a, as any standard uh, ubiquinol. Um, and remember this, Anne Louise, um, this was written up in the Townsend newsletter, uh, and I had the same experience in my, in my small ubiquinone, ubiquinol study. I had a woman weightlifter from Connecticut and, and I did a, a, a double blind crossover study, which means I had people on ubiquinol, then I washed out, I had them on nothing, then I put them on ubiquinone, washed that out, and, I, and then I did the, the, the experiment over again. And this weightlifter from uh, Connecticut, she was pleading with me. She was saying, Dr. Sinatra, whatever you're giving me, I, I, I'm weak, I'm, I'm fatigued, I cannot push the weights, I can't even go in competition right now. I said, really? And then she went back on ubiquinone, and she and she like brightened up and she was as good as new. Huh. So I thought it, I, I thought it was you know just a idiosyncratic reaction. Then lo and behold, a long distance runner writes it up in a Townsend newsletter, and I sent in an editorial on it. Huh. Same thing happened to him. Huh. He switches to ubiquinol, and he's running these these long distance races, and now his times are getting higher and higher and higher, and he can't figure it out. Huh. He switches back to ubiquinone. And he's right back to running his, you know, his five and 10, 20 K races like he was before. So, you know, not everyone uh, has the same reaction, but I can tell you this, that um, when it comes to a high quality ubiquinone, I'm all in on it and it's a lot less expensive. So that's why I haven't switched. So what are the doses? Give, give me, well, you know, for healthy standard. people, people yeah. in my age group, I, I think hundred milligrams is, is, is a sweet dose. Adequate. But if you have hypertension, if you have, um, well, you know, if you have insulin resistance, if you have any of the, um, you know, problems with your heart, you know, a bypass, an angioplasty, I, I, I would go higher. If you're suffering from memory, uh, if you have a little Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, sure, you could go higher. I mean, um, when it comes to targeted nutritional supplements, uh, like CoQ10, usually 100 is the sweet dose. But again, you know, people can take less and certainly people can take more as well. So we spoke a little bit ago about the importance of certain of these um, factors that you can test for, these markers. And you said something about LP small a. Is that a lipoprotein A? Right, yeah. To me, that's the real cholesterol story. Explain, I mean, explain that to my listeners. Yeah. Uh, lipoprotein a little a is a very, very small cholesterol particle. Um, biochemically, it has what we call a disulfide bridge. Um, but it's very pro-inflammatory and it causes blood clotting. In other words, and, and, and the sine qua non of coronary artery disease is inflammation. Mm -hmm. And if you have inflammation plus thickening of the blood or you have red ketchup blood at the same time, uh, well, then you're in double handcuffs. And that's why uh, LP little a is a serious cardiovascular risk factor. But you don't hear a lot from it because the drug companies can't make the right mousetrap for it. In other words, statins tend to increase LP little a can make it worse. And um, the only drugs that really work in LP little a is quick acting niacin, not the long acting, but the quick acting. Oh, the interesting. Quick, quick yeah, the, the problem with quick acting, as you know, yes, you know, people have intolerance to it because they get hot and they get, you know, flushing and itchy and so and forth itching and burning of the skin. But um, remember Abraham Hoffer, Do you remember him from years ago, the niacin man, yes, the niacin man. He treated, uh, and I interviewed him years ago with, with the late Marty Zucker. He, he was you know? a psychiatrist. Yes, yes. 
And when Marty was alive, I interviewed him. And um, uh, basically, he used to treat schizophrenia uh, with high dose niacin, which was amazing. Amazing. And, um, uh, and, and those people weren't getting heart disease. So I don't know whether it was the niacin, that, you know, because again, niacin is good for, uh, you know, um, capturing or, or, or defusing the inflammatory nature of epi little a. Now, recently, now, Anne Louise, with the Biogenome Project, we used to think LP little a was a rare risk factor. Now, after you know the the project was discovered in the in the in the early 1990s, uh, and we're doing a lot of genetic mapping, uh, a lot more people have LP little a than we thought they do they did. So, if any of your listeners have any history of heart disease in their family, early heart attack, sudden death, they must ask their doctors to have an LP little a checked because because again, this is carried genetically. So if a parent died of an early heart attack at age 50 or 45, this is one risk factor you can neutralize, by the way. I mean, you know, I, um, I like, uh, I like lumbrokinase, uh, especially for um, LP little a. In fact, the Canadians uh, call it Baluki, um, which is, you know, a really good antithrombotic, anti-inflammatory supplement that's really awesome for it, you know. Forgive me, that was my clock, which shines. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's very calming. Um, so did, so did, did most of these very advanced new tests actually test for LP little a? Or um, do you have to ask for it? You have to ask for it, uh, but more and more cardiologists are being privy to it. Um, so, you know, they, they're getting these, news, these, these newer tests. And, um, you know, everybody knows about homocysteine. Everybody knows about serum ferritin. Sure. You know, I mentioned fibrinogen and smoking women. You know, so um, I wrote about this years ago, uh, you know, in one of my books. And uh, as, these, as these smaller risk factors, but these risk factors, if you, add, if you keep adding them up, uh, you know, they can be very significant. And remember, like I said before, the, the diabetic situation is, is really frightful because, again, insulin, when you have surges of insulin up and down, uh, this is the most endothelial unfriendly hormone. In other words, this causes endothelial cell disruption. And remember, CoQ10 is one of the most supporting endothelial uh, uh, layer uh, ingredients. And, and, when, and, and now I'm going to tie it in with COVID-19. Mm. In COVID-19, we get endothelial cell disruption, mm. and excessive blood clotting, and I think that's one of the reasons why diabetics uh, are at much higher risk. And, and, and I think that CoQ10, uh, somebody will do this research, but I think CoQ10 would protect you, was help support against the complications of COVID-19 as well because of its nature with supporting endothelial cell function. So what do you suggest? What is your basic dietary modality? I know for years you were in favor of the, of the Mediterranean diet. Has that changed since you've done new research for the great cholesterol myth, which you updated and revised? Oh, not really. Uh, the, uh, the Mediterranean diet is really cool. And it, you know, it doesn't matter if you live in is Israel, Tunisia, Sicily, Spain, even in Portugal, which is a little bit you know, off the Mediterranean, but it's next to Spain. But, but I think the common denominator there is olive oil. I really do. I mean, yes. uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an olive oil freak. I, 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 I have it every day. Um, I, I use it abundantly on my salads. And um, I came across an article um, in genomics um, about six years ago. And, and um, again, the Biogenome Project really got us focused on genetic structure. 
And what olive oil does in Louise, it takes pro-inflammatory genes that we all have. I mean, everybody's born with pro-inflammatory genes. We can't escape it. However, olive oil takes pro-inflammatory genes and it neutralizes them back to a non-inflammatory state. Oh my goodness. So, so olive oil could be the secret sauce in the Mediterranean diet. Yes. Wherever you live, it's, it could be Greece, Turkey, it doesn't matter. There's more centenarians in the entire world Yes. Uh, in the Mediterranean basin. It used to be Okinawa had the monopoly on longevity, but that's been surpassed by Spain, Portugal, and Italy. No kidding, I didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah, Okinawa so cool. is, is, is down at the bottom of the top five. It used to be number one for years. Yes. And I really think it's it's olive oil, which is that, that secret sauce. But, you know, how do, but, how do we, but how do we know where we're getting a pure olive oil? Don't you have an olive oil company that you can talk to us about? Yeah, well, well basically, um, uh, you know, I'm, I was, my grandfather came from Sicily and I'm of Italian descent and everything else. So I used to get Italian olive oils. But then when I saw that uh, program on 60 Minutes. <laughs> that we all saw, me. yes. That really bothered me. I said, oh my gosh. I said, canola oil. I mean, you and I think canola oil is poison. Poison. I mean, and now they're cutting it in our olive oils. So I, I went to California. I found an organic grower. I, I visited the, uh, the the olive trees. I went to the factories, and uh, uh, one thing good about the uh, Growers Council in California is that you have to submit your your olive oils for the taste tests and chemical tests, uh, and they can test the polyphenols and the bioflavonoids in the olive oil, et cetera, et cetera. But our olive oil from uh, California, I think is awesome. And we used it at your 70th birthday party. We did and people fell in love with it. They fell in love with that olive oil. And you have oh, different- I remember, I, re I was drinking it on our table. I remember that now, I was drinking it, yeah. Because it's it's so good for your health, you know? And by the way, um, uh, you know, people bathe in it, they put it on their skin. I mean, you know, you know one of the aspects, I think for anti-aging, if people placed olive oil, you know, with these polyphenols on their skin and took coenzyme Q10 at the same time, you know, the Japanese did research on uh, wrinkles in the skin and they showed that, you know, people taking CoQ10 uh, with, with a cyclodextrin complex, that was the key. It had a certain uh, complex to it. And that's the one we use at Healthy Directions, by the way. And I came across that by accident. Wow. But, but if you use a CoQ10 um, internally, and put olive oil internally and externally on your skin, I think you can do a lot with anti-aging of the skin and really delay the aging of the skin. And, and, and the part three to that trifecta would be a low sugary diet. So yes. if, you, if you omit the sugars you, and you know, use the um, uh, CoQ10 and use the olive oil both internally and externally, I think that's the trifecta for having, you know, anti-aging on your face. <laughs> I agree. So that leads me to another question. You and I have never chatted about this. So what is your feeling about a ketogenic diet in terms of heart and heart disease? Well, the ketogenic diet for some people will absolutely work. I mean, some people can't tolerate it. Um, you know, it's sort of an individual thing. I mean, I'll tell you this, Anne Louise, I, I wrestled all through high school and college and, um, Unfortunately, I had a state champion in the weight class, uh, in my weight class and the weight class above me. So I had to lose weight and go a weight class lower. So I used to starve all through high school, I have to tell you. And I actually did the ketogenic diet, but I didn't know it back then. <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea, you know, and it works because when you fast, 
And if you build up your blood ketones, it cuts your hunger down, you know? And, and, when, and when I went to college, I used to, you know, when I started college, I would weigh in the 170s and stuff like that. And I used to wrestle 137, 145 in college. So think about that. I used to lose a lot of weight. Mm. And because I was on a wrestling scholarship, and that's what eventually got me into medical school, you know, for me, um, the ketogenic diet worked. And But I, again, I didn't know what I was doing back then. So I think the ketogenic diet is an individual thing. I mean, I think anybody who has problems with memory or if they have, they have pre-Alzheimer's, I think keto, ketones are really good for the brain. They can, they can resurrect the brain. They can give firepower to the brain. Uh, so, um, you know, some people may not tolerate it, but some people may. So I'm sort of neutral, positive on it. If you, if you want my stance on it, that, that's, that's where I am. Yeah, I, I am too. So thank you for that. Now you're very integrative in so many ways. You believe in the power of grounding and you wrote a book years ago about grounding. Can you tell my audience how you discovered grounding and how you implement the, the technology of grounding into your everyday life? Yeah, well, first of all, remember I said I went for a walk before- Yeah, a, a yeah be, before we started taping. Yes, I yeah. love that. And um, uh, I, wore, I walk on leather shoes. They're very, very thin. And I keep wearing the soles out uh, of them. And I bring them back to the shoemaker and he puts new soles on it. But the reason soles. why I walk in leather, Anne Louise, is because, and I don't wear socks. And even though it's November, and even in the wintertime in Connecticut, I don't wear socks. When you walk on leather shoes uh, and you're walking on grass or concrete, not asphalt, but you know, concrete um, walks, or uh, we have a lot of brick walks here in Connecticut as well, old brick. Um, you're taking in the Mother Earth energy. You're taking in the Schumann effect, and the Schumann effect is like it's called 7.83 hertz. It's sort of like it's like the Om when people mm -hmm. meditate. Om that that chant right now that I used to do at Servananda when I was teaching, uh, you know, down at the Yoga Institute, that ohm has the same resonance as, as the Schumann, 7.83 hertz. Interesting. So it, it is interesting, isn't it? So basically, when you walk barefoot or walk on leather, you're taking in this resonance, and this resonance arises from lightning strikes that strike the earth. In other words, when lightning strikes the earth, like I live in Tampa, Florida, you know, during the winter months and Tampa gets a lot of the Tampa is the lightning capital of the USA, by the way. Oh, how, how fast did you choose Tampa because of that? No, I didn't move there because of that. It was just <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, the equator gets the, the most lightning strikes, probably maybe a, a few thousand per minute, you know, around the equator. But like um, Tampa gets a lot of lightning. And after a lightning storm, uh, I would go out and smell the ozone. I would take deep breaths and I would walk barefoot on the on my grass. And I would take in this Schumann resonance. That's it's like taking in handfuls and handfuls of antioxidants, and you know it helps to to um, uh, balance the autonomic nervous system. You know we're all living in fight flight now because of COVID nineteen. Yes. We have sympathetic over discharge. The parasympathetic nervous system is lagging behind, and. Uh, you know, we've done so many experiments on earthing and grounding. You know, it thins the blood, it regulates cortisol. Oh, it, it, it does so much for it. It calms us down. Uh, people sleep better. We even had people, Anne Louise, hit the website, uh, who developed COVID. They were putting patches on their lungs and plugging the patch into their um, uh, 
electric side, electric socket, so to speak, and they were doing better at home with their respiratory difficulty. I mean, these are these are just testimonials. I mean, you know, nobody's done that research, but I have to tell you that um, I'm all in when it comes to grounding and earthing. I have to tell you, I, I just believe it. I, I do it as much as I can, whether I'm living in Connecticut or I'm living in Florida. I just do it. So we ground at night with a little wristband. Are you a believer in that? Yeah, the wristband, you know, anything, anything that you can bring Mother Earth energy to the body is, is really awesome, you know. So where are we going to get leather shoes, Dr. Sinatra? Now you've got me on this leather shoe thing. I think that's vitally important every day. Where do we get leather shoes? Well, you should interview, um, let's see, one of my colleagues. Uh, and she lives out in Arizona. She's probably in the same time zone. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, she she works with a company. Uh, Clint Ober used to um, uh, do the leather shoes, but now he's into he's into the grounded mattresses right now, big time. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I sleep grounded. I sleep on a grounded sheet, but I also have a grounded mattress. Um, but I can I can hook you up with the shoe lady. And, I, and I love the concept of the shoes. There's something about that that I think. Oh, I and she has so many different varietals, you know, and they're you know they're different colors and uh, different varietals of leather. Um, you know, I'll tell you, leather shoes. I think women should get back to because. Yes, uh, look at all the synthetics that they're absorbing from the from the glues and the cements and the uh, the colors and so forth from synthetics, and not not to mention that they're not being grounded. And remember this, we didn't, I didn't do the experiment. I mean, I was privy to the data and I didn't help write the paper or anything, but, uh, um, you know, I, I reviewed the research. Do you realize that if you take rats and you feed them the same rat chow, you have two groups of rats, one cage is grounded and the other cage is ungrounded. Well, the ungrounded rats had higher blood sugars than the grounded rats. Think about that. Wow. Just think about that. Now, wow. let's, let's, uh, you and I are the same age, right? Let's, I'm, I'm let's a little, young, a little younger. A little oh, you're a little younger. <laughs> oh, anyway, let's, let's, let's think about this, right? Uh, when I was in third grade, uh, I used to walk to elementary school in my leather shoes, right? Because they didn't have sneakers back then or, or, you know, Adidas or tennis shoes or whatever it was, right? I used to walk about a mile to school on sidewalks when I was eight years old. Think about that. We don't do that anymore with our kids. No. Now, that was in the, that was in 1956 or, or 54, you know, in that area, right? Then the fast food industry came on, right? And then uh, we started busing our kids to school and kids aren't walking to school and blah, blah, blah. So now the fast food industry comes in with their thick shakes and their fraps and this and that and their sodas. And then uh, there's a soda generation and the supersize me and the kids are drinking not a, not a, a six inch app, uh, or a six ounce bottle of cola, but now it's 12, 16, up to 32 ounces. Yeah. So now they're getting a sugar overdose. They're walking on, um, on non-leathery shoes. They're walking on rubber. They're disconnected from the earth. And now a lot of the school programs have taken out the exercise programs because of funding, et cetera, et cetera. We set up the perfect storm for diabetes. Yes. We took away the exercise. We're giving them more sugar and we're taking away their groundedness because mm. grounded reduces blood sugar in rats, right? Yes. So now the perfect storm has occurred. So now wonder one in every 3.4 people, 3 people in the United States has insulin resistance or type two or type one diabetes. Think about that.
I know that. Grounding yeah. brings something to the table. There's no doubt about it. And it's the forgotten. It's the forgotten and, and, and ignored missing link. I'm, I'm convinced about that. And it's free. <laughs> and it's free. It's free for the taking. Now, one other aspect before we close off our lovely interview and this wonderful telephonic visit, and that is you are considered to be a top-of-the-line bioenergetic psychotherapist. Tell me what that means. Well, um, what it means is that um, bioenergetic psychotherapy uh, deals with having your feelings and emotions because if they get stuffed inside your body, uh, in other words, if you don't have your sadness, if you don't cry, if you don't have your anger, uh, we don't like rage. Rage is uncontrolled anger, but a little controlled anger is okay. In other words, these emotions get stuck inside your body. For example, I wrote the book Heartbreak and Heart Disease because yes. I, I, I became convinced that if you don't cry, uh, you can set yourself up for heart disease because basically uh, it, it, it places the heart in a rigid cage. In other words, if, if, if the energy in the lungs isn't facilitated by either a lot of laughing or a lot of crying or shouting or whatever, or having emotions, having your emotions out, um, you know, the, the heart gets stuck in a cage. And um, I, I, I truly believe this. And I even did a, lot of, I did a lot of research on this. I did workshops where, you know, people were crying, people weren't. We tested their blood, tested their urines. And we did a lot of things to show that, you know, people can develop biochemical hormone elevation like cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline, which have adverse effects on blood pressure, the heart, et cetera. But when people cry or when they laugh hard enough, and what happens when you laugh hard enough? People cry, you know? It's, yes, a, it's yes. a spontaneous, what I'm getting at, when you have a spontaneous release of emotion, this discharges the body of tension and emotion. And uh, that was Alexander Lowen's uh, premise. And that's why I studied with him because he was a bioenergetic therapist. You know, Anne Louise, when I was um, a young doctor, I had just, um, I was an internist at the time. I, I took three years of internal medicine and psychiatry training. I studied with Fritz Perl's disciples. Do, do you remember Fritz Perl's from California? Yes. Uh, he taught Gestalt psychotherapy. And the Gestalt psychotherapy is great where you live in the here and now, you know? Um, and these disciples came from California and they were in Hartford, Connecticut. Can you believe it? Oh my it? God, of all places. Yeah, so there was a pack of them and uh, I ended up doing uh, two years of Gestalt psychotherapy, but I didn't become certified as a Gestalt psychotherapist because one of the books on the reading list was Alexander Lowen's Bioenergetics. And as a heart specialist, for the reasons I just mentioned, uh, resonated with me so closely that I actually went to one of his workshops and I ended up doing training with him for three years and then went into a 10 year bioenergetic training program. So. Bioenergetics and psychotherapy, I think, are well connected to um, helping to avoid heart disease and uh, actually any disease. Any, any disease. And the reason I, I wanted you to talk about Alexander Lowen, I met his wife, Leslie Lowen, years ago. Oh, wow. Sweetheart, wasn't she? Uh, she was she was something. I remember Steve having to bring a picture of my whole family, and she analyzed every single one of the people by the way they were standing, the way they were looking the, the the tilt of their head i found her just tremendously tremendously insightful i wish i had met him they passed away at this point i'm sure yeah well she passed before him but she used to run a uh, exercise class that i used to attend and i gotta tell you it was brutal uh 
brutal from the point of view, um, she would loosen up the, the ligaments and tendons in your ankles. And it's so important now, people have so much tension in their hips, ankle joints, et cetera. But she was so far ahead of the curve where she would wor walk or work. Uh, we would twist our ankles back and forth and we would do ankle exercises. And again, the ankle is connected to the knee and the knee is connected to the hip. And uh, she was way ahead of the curve. And way ahead that, of her time. And Al died about, I think, 15 years after she passed. Oh, you're kidding. I didn't realize that. Yeah. May they rest in peace. So what we've learned from you today, Dr. Sinatra, just to sum everything up, is that we really need different types of heart monitor testing. In other words, we're, we're looking at a kind of an old paradigm. We need, we need to know the particle number, the size, the pattern of the, uh, of the cholesterol, whether your LDL is actually oxidizing and so forth. And, and if you think that there is a history of heart disease, or even if not, you should all be tested for the lipoprotein A. Am I correct? Correct. Definitely. And we should all be in touch with doc Dr. Sinatra. What's the best website to be in touch with you with? Well, the, um, uh, our food website with our healthy olive oils and, and, and pasta. Oh, but by the way, these, um, um, I, I got to send you some of these, Anne Louise. Um, I did a red lentil pasta from Sicily. Oh, and my I, goodness. A chickpea pasta from Sicily because they have high protein in it. And no uh, gluten. Yeah, no gluten. They're all gluten free. And uh, basically, uh, with higher protein in the pastas, you don't get the insulin response you get with uh, high semolina flour pasta, which is really good. So you won't gain weight on these pastas, and, and you get you know you'll you'll get the equivalent of like a hamburger or something, you know, having a pasta meal. And I worked with this Sicilian um, uh, tomato sauce company. I was going back and forth and tastings, and I was supposed to go visit the uh, company, you know, the factory, but COVID came on. But like um, I, I developed an abrebriata sauce. This is a hot pepper sauce because mm. you know you're a nutritionist. I mean, you know that caps capsaicin and hot pepper is really good for the cardiovascular system. You know, the, the best. It, it, it's it, the, the, the best absolutely. for just about everything. Everything, you know. <laughs> so I'm, I have an abrebriata, a hot pepper sauce, and I have my marinara sauce, and the, and it, they all come from these organic uh, tomatoes, and so, and uh, these are the cherry tomato varietals. And uh, I'm so thrilled with these two sauces and my two pastas. And, and then, you know, I got a little bit crazy. You know, I, I like coffee, but, you know, that if you do a decaf coffee with the Swiss water method, I used to own a health food store years ago, Anne Louise. Uh, I think right now the decaf coffees that are purified with the Swiss water method, where you're taking out the impurities, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm coming out with a, another decaf coffee with the Swiss water method. Wonderful. And, and she's got these, these factories in, in, in Italy. This is unbelievable. They have these dark cocoa high polyphenol chocolates that are fortified with pomegranate, cinnamon, and you know, cinnamon. Oh, lovely. Sugar. So good for the blood sugar. Yes, I mean, this is this is unbelievable. So now I'm doing chocolates and coffee and pastas and sauces and you know, stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun. And, and um, you know, I think eating healthy is gonna be the biggest challenge of the 21st century. I really do. It'll continue to be. So that's vervana.com, am I correct? Yeah. And then my other website is Ageless Pets. If you have any dogs or cats, we use these treats, these high CoQ10 fortified 
treats that we give, you know, they're from salmon or turkey heart or chicken heart or oh, bison. Lovely. You know, you can't give bison a bovine growth hormone, you know that. Mm-hmm. And bison has a lot of CoQ10 in it. So, you know, we give these animal treats that are very pure and nutritious and, you know, the cats and the dogs love them. And, and uh, you know, I just have a lot of fun because remember, dogs and cats can bring a lot of unconditional love to a human being. And when human beings take in that energy from a cat or dog, uh, that is vitally good for the heart as well. So I'm all in when it comes to taking care of our, our feline and canine, you know, friends. Yes, and what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Exactly. What a <laughs> what a concluding remark. What a, what, so a, what an insightful remark. Although I can't I can't claim it's my own, but I want to thank you so much for being so insightful, so passionate, and so helpful. So I want to thank all of my listeners for listening yet once again to another episode of the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. My guest today has been Dr. Stephen Sinatra of the Great Cholesterol Myth. Pick up his book. Visit his websites. Have a beautiful, healthy, and wonderful rest of your week. Goodbye, everyone.